Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulda on the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast where we talk about contemporary issues in science and medicine, agriculture, with an emphasis on biotechnology, in particular the types of technologies that can benefit people and the planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, and this week we're going to talk about the movie Food Evolution. It's long overdue. I don't know about you, but I've sat through lots of hours of uh, Food Inc. and served on panels to evaluate GMO, OMG. And I'm somewhere between laughing and crying when I watch these because of the distortions about science and the distortions of technology. And sadly, it's been the folks against the technology that really have had a corner on the art. I mean, certainly we've had the science, but we've never had a good way to communicate it. And in so many ways, Art, and particularly the storytelling method of documentary film style, has a compelling way of telling a story in which communicates the science that's so important. In this case, Scott Hamilton Kennedy, uh, Trey Sheehan, and their production crew did a beautiful job at talking about the issues of genetic engineering, or GMOs. So today on the podcast, there's two sets of interviews that take about the next hour, and I'll be brief. First, we interview Allison Van Eenenem, Cooperative Extension uh, Scientist from uh, University of California, Davis, and Science Communication All-Star, who I adore listening to. She seems to always get it right, <laughs> while the rest of us sometimes fumble through. And uh, Allison uh, was a major, major personality in this particular film, and just wonderful. And uh, the second part, we talked to the director and the producer and both were writers, uh, Scott Hamilton Kennedy and Trey Sheehan. And they really tell a surprising story, that it's not a film about genetic engineering or GMOs. It's a story about how we think about science. And when do we trust evidence? That's really the main goal of this particular film. So off to today's interviews. 
And now we go to University of California in Davis, California, and uh, speaking with Dr. Allison Van Enenem, who is a cooperative extension specialist in the Department of Agriculture, Animal Science, not Agriculture Science, Animal Science, which is part of agriculture. And uh, she's also the premier queen of science communication, soon to have a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, hi, Allison. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> so you're actually the second, first, second timer. You were with me on episode two about two years ago. And it's hard to believe that this is, it's been that long since I've talked to you on the podcast. Yeah, well, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me twice. <laughs> well, it's nice. And I look forward to when it's like 10 times. Because we got to talk <laughs> about the hornless cows again soon, too. I'm pretty excited about that. How are they doing? Um, we got some pregnancies. So we're in, expecting in September. So we'll have six calves that we predict will be not have horns. So Ooh, that's exciting. That is exciting. So that, that's really cool. So with that in mind, can you remind the audience maybe what you do in real life? I mean, you know, you're, you've, you're such a great presence in science communication. And in my, in my mind, the best person out there talking about biotechnology. And, you know, what, what do you do in your real nine-to-five life? In my day job? In your day so, job. <laughs> so I'm a cooperative extension specialist, which is, as you mentioned in the introduction, I kind of take science to the field is, is what I think of. And so my area is, is breeding and, and specifically cattle breeding is really the area I focus in. Um, and so I do also have a, a research lab here. So we do some basic research and then also I do a lot of talking to producers uh, and cattle breeders throughout the country on how to use technology and what technology makes sense for their particular operations. And that that's really um, a great prelude into the idea of using this cinematic opportunity to really amplify some of the parts of your message. How did you really get folded in with the director and production team of this effort? <laughs> well, I got an email from, from them um, saying they were going to be making a movie about food. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the hackles on my back went up because there hasn't been a great history of Hollywood doing a great job with agriculture. <laughs> so <laughs> Food Inc. and Cowspiracy and GMO, OMG. So I was a little suspicious at first. Um, and they said they wanted to do a movie about all food production uh, in 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that, boys. Um, so I actually met with them by Skype, and then I felt a little reassured that they were interested in the scientific, getting it scientifically correct because it was being funded by a scientific society, the IFT. Um, and as I spoke more and more to the director, um, Scott Hamilton Kennedy, and the producer, Trace Sheehan, I got the feel that they really did want to do a piece that accurately reflected science and, and how we make decisions around our food um, choices. And so that was kind of the, my segue. At first, it, I was in there because of the cows, but I don't think a single cow made it into the final <laughs> cut. So I guess that wasn't quite as intriguing as, as the kind of the GMO discussion. But the the intriguing parts were there in terms of the uh, mammals you did interact with, because I really think that's the cornerstone of this entire film, is really kind of the one-on-one -on -one interaction, especially that you have with many of the people in, in the film. And you, this thing jumped around. It went from Hawaii to Uganda to uh, Iowa, um, Davis. What was kind of your um, favorite part and, and of this entire experience? Well, I think what was intriguing for me was, you know, when I f they first started getting footage, they were kind of 
kind of rudderless to some extent. And so we were, you know, we were talking about methane and cattle and, and you know, lab work. And, and then slowly over time, watching the focus kind of crystallize out of the work and watching them edit down literally hundreds of hours of footage to the story that they developed in 92 minutes, which is basically how long the movie is, was really intriguing as a scientist. It's like, it was kind of like having you know a huge review paper and you had to summarize it in a paragraph or something. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there were lots of you know loved babies in terms of, of footage that they would have loved to include, but they just had to get it to where it told a compelling story that was an interesting storytelling na- narrative for the audience. Um, and the audience is really not ag people it's really just you know man in the street kind of person to have a discussion around this technology and and how are people making decisions uh so it's really a proxy i think gmos for bigger questions around where people get their information and how they make decisions yeah and along that line really this whole movie was broken down into a couple of main capsules and without a lot of spoiler alert it really centered around the papaya story the banana story and kind of the um realization that the general public started to have uh, centered around the um, Intelligence Squared discussion where you were a panelist. And um, how do you think that these examples kind of um, tell those stories? How do you think there's a narrative that's within those that really is compelling to help be a vehicle for understanding the science? Yeah, well, so those two examples, the the papaya in Hawaii is disease resistance to ring spot and the banana is is resistant to a a bacterial wilt disease. And I think part of the effort was really trying to disentangle this whole GMO discussion from the common criticisms associated with Monsanto and with pesticide use and try to disentangle that and say, you know, this is a breeding method that – public sector breeders would love to be able to use to address problems in agriculture. And disease resistance is a really good one because it really doesn't involve the use of any pesticides at all. It just makes you know plants that aren't resistant to disease. And in the case of Uganda, it's the Ugandan scientists trying to develop it for their own farmers um, and can't use the technology due to the debate in this first world scenario that we've got going on. And I think that is really an angle that that is makes people think about it um, and really how this technology actually could have some beneficial applications. And if we do get at least that crack in the door to where people can just get beyond all GMOs are bad to how might this breeding method um, intersect or interact with different production systems in different scenarios um, to be part of the solution to problems. And so kind of having a yes and discussion rather than thou shalt never use this technology, end of story, Um, which is kind of where we are right now. So that was really, I think, why those two examples were kind of so compelling. And they're both public sector um, applications uh, being developed for the farmers, um, and there is no kind of large multinational corporate presence in those developments. And along that line, when you say who the target is for this movie, it's just kind of the average person who's figuring out who to trust and, and what's the real story. But do you think that there's a, a narrative here that really helps scientists realize, like, you know, how, how folks we know are missing the boat with a communications opportunity because we're not telling the story, that this is just a tool that's being used to solve problems that are germane to uh, populations and, and important for people? How much of this do you think that scientists may reframe their thinking after watching it? <laughs> well, it was kind of intriguing for me watching it get made because, you know, as 
I know how I would have put the movie together and it would have been super fact-based and probably pretty boring and it wouldn't have told a story. You know, it would have explained the technology. Um, and I think that's the, you know, the creative storytelling that, that movie producers bring to this to this discussion and their skill at making something that's compelling and interesting. And so looking at the order that they put things in, it's not even necessarily chronological, but it's really uh, very thoughtful in terms of, of kind of getting a story started and then following on in character development. And there's a lot of um, you know, emotion in there um, because people are very passionate around this topic. And I think they really tried to get um, the scientists to to show some human emotion as well, which sounds like it shouldn't be a big ask, but um, that's not how we're trained, right? And so, um, you know, I think that that's trying to, to show that, that there is real passion on the science side here too to try to solve problems problems and frustration that we can't use these technologies as a result of basically fear-mongering and misinformation that's happening in the first world. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I, I know that I've seen this probably five times now, and each time I've seen it, I've had to sit with a box of Kleenex because I, I seriously, it viscerally affects me um, to see what is going on, especially in Africa, and the way that they framed the problem and the potential solutions and the lack of access to the solution. As a scientist where you grow up and, you know, you grow up in science, you spend your career in science, and the job is to solve problems for people just like that. And to see scientists who have done it, yet you can't employ it. It, it, it I hope it hits the average consumer the same way it hits us. But do, you, but do you think that this kind of emotion is something that we need to be playing into more as we're learning science communication? Well, yes, I do, um, because I think that, you know, people don't necessarily make decisions based on, on facts and science. You know, um, many people make it based on their gut um, and, you know, whether or not they feel that they can trust the, where the information is coming from. And so we have these entire kind of alternative fact narratives that get built up that have no basis in science and they're very much appealing to people's emotions. And so, you know, we know that facts alone are not sufficient to to change people's minds because they haven't made their decisions based on facts. And so, how you know, and people are dying because we're not doing a good job at science communication. And so we need to do something different um, or else we're not going to be able to use these technologies. And that has re very real implications in terms of our food production systems. And so I think at this juncture in history, perhaps more than ever before, um, we need to get better at science communication um, because the, the consequence of, of not adopting safe innovation in agriculture is just so great. Um, and so, yes, I, I hope that scientists do look at this and think um, how, how they might communicate differently and the importance of connecting with the audience on an emotional level before um, discussing actual um, scientific facts. And it's interesting because the folks who've been against the technology have always weighed very heavily on, on emotion. And when you don't have a factual argument, you can really influence someone's decisions by using that emotional plea. And a lot of f folks who were not traditionally on board with biotechnology or actually people who have been very staunchly opposed to it are shown in this movie. And I think we're are, are um, woven into the fabric of this very well because they don't you know they're they're just speaking their mind and telling their stories do you think that they were treated fairly throughout this entire video and throughout this entire film and uh, do you think that it adds something important to have those voices of dissension follow along with the voices of science 
Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you have to have the, the voices of dissension in there to give it any kind of credibility because otherwise, um, you know, you'll have people bringing up those voices. And, you know, I think that the director said he likes to let people tell their own stories in their own words and to have very little interjection of, of the director, so to speak. And so I think that he did let them say their piece and, and, and have their uh, opinions heard. Um, and it's the audience that can just establish the credibility of those voices and, and what they have to say and decide, um, you know, what they think with regards to the technology. I, th I mean, the movie doesn't tell people what to think. It tells them perhaps how to think in terms of, you know, where are you getting your information from? And I think that with some of these other politicised topics like, you know, vaccines and, and, and climate change, you know, the same organisations that, that – are, we're relying on for information, the National Academies of Science, they're saying what the science says around these topics. And in some cases, people believe them. And in other cases, different topics, they choose to say, oh, well, I don't believe that consensus. And mm -hmm. I think it kind of, it points to this, um, you know, people aren't consistent in when they are willing to accept the scientific consensus dependent upon kind of their preconceived notions or their um their ideas about a topic and it really i hope points out that and and challenges people to think a little bit more critically as to where they're getting their information from well along that line so you it, it's about teaching or helping people think critically about this particular topic but it's also that idea of trying to get some of the other thought leaders to be participating in the dialogue nice part of this movie like my one of my favorite parts is you talking with bill nye who's never quite been there all the way in terms of uh of this technology until very recently and how much of a role do you think that folks like him um, maybe being part of this movie lending his credibility to this movie but also how much do you think this kind of movie changes him as a voice for this kind of technology um, well, yes, you do see Bill Nye, who was quite opposed to GMOs and, in fact, had a fairly negative chapter in his book, um, come to the debate and then investigate the data further subsequent to the debate and actually change his mind on GMOs um, uh, following some more research. And, and that really is the very definition of the scientific method, right? So you get more data um, and you look at it and you let the data inform your opinion as to what you think about a certain topic. And so I think that that adds a lot of credibility to him as a scientist. Um, and he, I know he has included it in his Bill Nye Saves the World um, uh, show. He's actually included this particular topic. Um, but I do also think it's important for people with expertise in this area who's very you know, scientific research is actually involved with this breeding method. They also need to speak out because the specialists in an area have their own unique ability to speak for the technology and, and understand some of the nuances that maybe a more generalist scientist, um, you know, is, is not going to be privy to. And so I think it's it's great that the, the science communicators that are well known are coming out in favour of the science and the consensus here. But it's also important that people that just work in this field also speak out about it um, because there are literally are hundreds of scientists throughout America that could have appeared and the world that could have been in this movie. It's not like there was a handful of people who believe that um, this technology has promise. I think there's literally hundreds, if not thousands. And, and so that really is 
that level of scientific support is really an important um, point that really uh, this is where the science is on this technology and um, the same way it is on vaccinations and, and global warming um, and that we need to, to be strong about it. Well, maybe that's a really nice residue of this film is that finally maybe it will be something that if a normal everyday scientist and I'm with you I think there's probably thousands probably over probably between 10 and 20,000 scientists nationwide who would have the capacity to step into this discussion with some competence and some authority how much do you think that this movie could be a real crutch for them and really be potentially a turning point in this dialogue because it was the first time that um, art really did a beautiful job at having a place at the table. You know, as as you well aware, it's 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 a topic where if you do do public outreach, you do tend to get whacked a little bit. <laughs> um, and so hopefully this will give other people some confidence to to speak out in its as it relates to the science around this topic as well. And I think my main thing is to have a discussion where it's not this black white this is a good thing, this is a bad thing discussion. It's to have a discussion around where could we use this in our production systems and when does it make sense to use this breeding method to help our agricultural and farmers. Um, and so this kind of a yes and discussion is really the focus. And, and I think the divisiveness that's associated with GMOs and kind of separating communities into, you know, good and bad is really not helping solve problems. And it's really been quite... Um, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of money and a lot of energy. And unfortunately, that, that money and energy could have been used to actually fund agricultural research and help solve problems. And so hopefully this will help the even the agricultural community to, to have more constructive discussions around this particular technology and, and where it might, you know, what apps or applications actually might fit in well with different um, production systems and to address certain problems. Well, you were awesome in the film, and it was so wonderful. I'm so glad to have a, a friend who's who uh, who just did such an amazing job. And it, how do you have an IMDb page yet? Is that up yet? <laughs> Are, being considered for Academy Awards, anything like that? So, well, IMBD is, you know, that's the Internet Movie Database for those of you that aren't, you know, Hollywood savvy. <laughs> um, but it's funny you should mention that because a long time ago I went on a show uh, that was called Weird, True and Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a show about weird, true and freaky animals. Um, and so I was asked some questions on that show. And so I actually do already have an IMBD. <laughs> profile um and so i wasn't actually a feature on that show but rather i was commenting on the subjects of that show just to be clear well i, I don't know how much pull this podcast has with the national well no not the national academies the academy awards but you know hopefully someone's listening i it it, it does kind of make me wonder because you know these folks make this beautiful film that's artistic that's really as far as a documentary goes is a textbook documentary they let the scenarios and the people tell the story and through the eye of the camera. And it's a, it's a little bit unfortunate that, you know, we always think that Hollywood has a certain kind of leaning and has made up its mind on this film. But I, I have a funny feeling that this film could be do very well because its artistry 
can kind of carry it through the controversy. It's hard to know, um, you know, Hollywood probably has one particular opinion as it relates to this particular breeding method. So it'll be interesting to see how it's received um, there. And and really, you know, I think that the whole focus of the movie is, is, is not about um, GMOs per se. It's about the importance of, of using science to make decisions um, and basing policy on, on real objective facts um, and not alternative facts and, um, you know, this kind of disparagement of experts that we have going on at the moment. And at this juncture in time, perhaps that message is is more important than it's ever been. And so I hope Hollywood um, can, can look at this movie objectively and understand it's really a call to respect science and let science be the basis for um, policies and our decision making because in the absence of that, in the words of Mark Linus, all you really have is, is a blob of, of competing worldviews. Uh, and that's really, I hope, the take-home message from the movie. So if people want to learn more about you and your program or follow you on social media, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, well, I'm I'm hidden very, very sneakily on my publicly facing uh, web page at UC Davis. So uh, if you just type in animal biotechnology at Davis, you'll get to my, my lab web page. Um, but perhaps uh, more uh, accessible is my Twitter account, which is at BioBeef. Um, so B-I-O-B-E-E-F. Uh, and that's kind of uh, where you might find me on Twitter. Excellent. Yeah, and a really good one to follow, by the way. I don't know that you tweet a whole bunch of things that I don't find useful, so thank you very much. <laughs> but thank you very much for joining me today, Allison. Uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon, and best wishes and everything. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. So on this section of the Talking Biotech podcast, we go to Los Angeles, California, and talk to Scott Hamilton Kennedy who is the director, writer, and producer of Food Evolution, and Trey Sheehan, who is a producer and uh, writer of Food Evolution. Uh, hi, how's it going, Scott and Trace? It's good. Glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I think this is great because uh, as people are listening and downloading this, we'll be moving up to the uh, full release of, of at least the limited market release of Food Evolution. The, the main thing I was really interested in talking to you about was a lot more of the nuance to this. And I know, Scott, you know, I've seen the garden. Um, I really appreciate um, the way that the story just kind of tells itself. And it's the same with food evolution. What is it that really attracts you to this particular genre to be able to tell the story? Well, I guess people say uh, truth is stranger than fiction. Um, uh, I've loved documentaries for a long time. I love scripted films. I love storytelling all around. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's a wonderful way to, to, to reach people. Trace and I are both huge fans of the, of the three act structure. And we like really kind of mixing genres of telling a documentary, but being inspired by, um, some of the great stories that, that we've always loved. So yeah, it's just telling a good quality story. Uh, I, I love shining a light on, on, you know, underserved uh, conversations and underserved stories um and with the this gmo controversy it was a story that wasn't being told uh, correctly and there was a lot of fear-mongering and, and misinformation that we thought well let's see if we can tell tell the story and reset this story <laughs> well when you but you're right though this isn't a very widely told story because it's a dangerous story to tell 
And I mean, seriously, I mean, I'll show you my battle wounds. I think the the question is, is like, why, why, why this topic? It seems so many things that you could do. Yeah. Why, why bother sticking your head into this (laughs) noose is what I, where I'm going. Uh, well, we'll see if it was, if it was worth it. Um, uh, I, in the beginning, you know, I had friends that looked at me sideways, um, that, that looked at me and said, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, why are you taking taking this taking this conversation on? You know, it's sort of like we've got this. Monsanto's bad. GMOs are evil, and you know, organic is perfect. Um, and you know, why are you taking this on? And it was it was frustrating because, I mean, I, I learned the term confirmation bias in the making of this film. You, you two smarter gentlemen probably already knew about that, but I learned it in the process of making the film, and it really I, I never experienced it in communicating with somebody about a, about about a film that their confirmation bias was what they were seeing the film through instead of saying, Oh, I would like to see a film on, I'd like to see a film on community gardens, or I'd like to see a film on, on the arts. It was, well, I want to see a film about food. I want to see a film about agriculture, but you're only going to tell it from my point of view, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had a great partner in the film that, um, you know, to do the origin story of the, the movie here quickly, um, we were working with the Institute of Food Technologists. They're a nonprofit scientific society, uh, IFT. And to commemorate their 75th anniversary, they were looking for filmmakers to, uh, to create a film. And really the canvas was as broad as, you know, what is the role of science and technology in our food? And we went out and, and researched areas that we thought were important. We, uh, we had talked about the challenge of feeding a growing population sustainably, and, and that was very interesting. But at the end of the day, that is just too much for one movie to handle. Too and broad. With, yeah. yeah, too broad. And, and within that, we had always been fascinated with the GMO story. And, and frankly, coming to it without a dog in the fight, you know, really not knowing much about it, having heard some of the information out there, and, and really just trying to separate fact from fiction you know there were a lot of great articles um that were gaining attention in the new york times uh, amy Harmon's piece to nathaniel johnson's series and grist that you know were really painting both sides uh to this this debate this conflict and you know as filmmakers that's what we're drawn to right yeah. that sh- show me show me conflict i'll show you a good story <laughs> and, and what's funny going back to ift they are a scientific society of, of food scientists. And they were first a little concerned about the direction that we wanted to go with this movie for exactly the reasons you're talking about, Kevin. That, hey, hey, hang on, that's, that's ag science. This is food science. I, I'm not sure we need to you know, dip a toe in that debate. And we went back to them saying, well, you know, what's your goal? Well, why are we even doing this? And they wanted to prompt a more fact-based conversation around right. food. You know, let, what, let's have that debate. And to us, this was the perfect lens for that because, you know, you've got two sides, each saying they've got science on their side. Well, science doesn't work that way. So, you know, who's right, who's wrong, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly? And anyway, they, we had full creative control, uh, final cut, as they call it in the industry, and, and we really went and made you know, an independent investigation into this story. And uh, here we are. And really, this is an interesting question that kind of comes to my mind. Who is your target audience? 
Who hmm. do you think will watch this the most, and who do you really wish would watch it who may not? <laughs> yeah, do you see where I'm going there? Sure, sure. Target, I mean, with filmmakers, anybody that works in entertainment, your target <laughs> audience is the universe because we all are looking for love. Um, but uh, but, but to, to not be uh, silly in the answer is, is uh, the exciting audience that we want to show it to is, is actually not preaching to the choir, right? The choir of people that are already... Uh, believe in, in that 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 GMO that GMOs that GE that biotechnology is is a safe tool and is something to be considered. It's it's those neighbors that looked at me sideways, right? So people that are that love food documentaries and love intelligent conversations around all sorts of issues that might come to this and are afraid, and they uh, have, have and see if we can change their minds. And we've seen it. You know, we had an incredible screening. In Seattle, um, you know, uh, on the surface, a place that you would expect to be extremely anti-GMO, and they were. Um, and we do a very unscientific poll where we ask before the film, uh, how many of you fear uh, GMOs for yourself or, or for the environment? And in a theater of about 120 people, it was 100% hands in the air. So they all feared GMOs in some way. So we thought, oh boy, this is going to be a spicy Q&A. We go away and come back and ask the same question again afterwards, and we didn't have a single hand up in the air. So we convinced, you know, had a 100, 100% conversion rate, which just blew our minds. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, and that's what you can do with, 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 with storytelling. And, and my hat also went off, our hats went off to the people in that audience, that they were available to change their mind when they looked at data that, 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 that was that convincing. So, um, yeah, the audience, I, I like the challenge of finding an audience that is not expecting to agree with us, but we want to reach just the broadest audience. And again, going to why we made the movie, the GMO story is just a, is just a metaphor, right? The real reason we made the movie is to say, are we using science? Are we using data to make good decisions? And that's, that's where the, the audience becomes much more broad. And as we're living in a time of, of, of chaos in our White House and beyond, um, that's really the conversation that needs to happen. Are we using data? Can we get beyond alternative facts and people saying what is fake news and what isn't fake news? To, to, to what, to, how do we get to the truth at this day and age? Yeah, and Kevin, I think the middle is, is larger than a lot of people who have been in this entrenched debate for a while realize. Right. You know, it, it does seem, if you're in it, to boil down to this us, them, this binary system. And, and you know, it's not. Uh, we came to it and still in many ways are civilians, if you will. And, you know, it's, it's something that the average person, they maybe hear it on the news or, or see a headline and generally it's it's something bad. Uh, but now I feel over the course of us making this film, I've seen more headlines where scientists and scientific institutions are starting to push back. And so that's that's really, I think, the target audience is those people who, in the broadest terms, have an open mind, right, are willing to look at something in a new light, to think critically, to you know, be challenged and you don't have to agree with the film, um, but just to to hear the arguments, because that's really the biggest problem with the debate itself is that people just who are, who are really in it, who are entrenched, just aren't listening to to each other's side. And they just, you know, look to to paint one side as this and the other side as that. And, and that's just not how the debate is going to mature and, and get to a point to get to a better point, a more constructive point. So. 
anyway. No, I, I think you're exactly I right. No, you're you're right on. And I the thing that's really cool is a place like Seattle. It is an audience which does have an implicit bias one way we would think, but it's also tends to be rather sophisticated audiences that's that right. would take the time to say, "I'm going to go to see something that challenges me." And not just dismiss it out of hand. And that's a, uh, which which is really a give them huge credit. Absolutely. And, and I think anybody who goes to see this with an open mind is at least more intrigued in learning more. And I, I think that, that you really accomplish that because you do what scientists can't do. You can use the the beauty of the imagery and the storytelling to really help people understand that this is a human problem. And or, or a human solution, I should say. And the other thing you do very well with this, speaking as a, as a scientist who's surrounded by other scientists who don't do this very well, you you help us learn how you tell a scientific story. And mm. so you are preaching to the choir, but you're helping those preachers be a little better at what they do. So that you know, hats off to you guys for that. Oh, well, thank well, you, thank you, yeah. Definitely. It's, it's, it's not easy science communication. Um, you know, if, and if there's anything I've learned through it is, is that you can't just lead with the science. Uh, mm. you know, you really have to, at least for us, I think an epiphany early on was that, uh, any film needs a hero. And, you know, once we had taken a look at the science and sort of knew where we stood on things that the farmers and the scientists were our heroes Right. And you need to know why they're doing what they're doing if you're going to go along this journey. You've got to make it personal, you know, uh, and you've got to see what's the motivations behind it. And and in every case, I saw people trying to solve a problem. And I feel like genetic engineering is so often slammed because, um, you know, in the 90s, they said it was going to cure all our ills and there wasn't going to be world hunger and things like that. And, and maybe it, too, was oversold. But that's not why I see the people that we're, we film doing what they're doing. You know, they're doing it to solve a specific problem. And in most cases, a problem that can't be solved any other way. And, and if it can be solved another way, then they're the first ones to speak up and say, let's do it that other way, because to do it with a GMO is really hard, both scientifically and politically. So anyway, that in, in terms of storytelling and communication, I think you've just got to connect. You know, it just comes down to listening again, acknowledging people's concerns and, and building some sort of trust. And only after you've done that can you even begin to bring the science into the conversation. And that was what was really nice about this is that you used three or, well, a number of different venues to really build the trust and to, to show these examples of how technology could help people or uh, mostly help people, uh, whether it was farmers in Hawaii or, or uh, in Uganda. And why did you pick those particular storylines? And, and was there any other one that you really wanted to do that you either didn't include or maybe uh, would have liked to have included? Sure. Um, the well, Amy Harmon is uh, Trace mentioned before. Amy Harmon's amazing story on the uh, GMO ban, proposed GMO ban in um, in Hawaii, was a real light bulb moment for us. Where it was, uh, they were saying that they wanted to have a complete ban on GMOs, and they were going to be a beacon of truth in agriculture from Hawaii. But there was a small sub story to that that 
GMO technology also saved their beloved papaya industry. And guess what? Those same politicians who said they wanted to have a complete ban on GMOs grandfathered in that papaya. And I was like, what? (laughs) 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 Huh? (laughs) So you're telling me they're terrible, but you're grandfathering in the papaya? And uh, and then uh, as we looked further at the at the story, the the going outside of the United States, um, we found uh, the banana situation in Uganda, where you know fifty percent of bananas are being wiped out by this terrible disease, and there's a GE fix for it, but there is no political support of GMOs. Uh, it's illegal to to uh, to grow them. You can only test them, and it's illegal for farmers to use them. So I think when people, the average person, hears about GMOs, right, certain things get conjured to mind. You think of a big company that starts with the letter M. You <laughs> think about corn. You think about pesticides, uh, and and then all those get conflated into one monolithic thing. And as you know, we've come to learn, and I think maybe the most important aspect that just could be taught about genetic engineering that I hope the film does is that it's a process, right? Right, and not, that it's not, not a product, any one a product. product. Yeah. And yeah. so we wanted to get away from the big, you know, GMO 1.0 is a is a clunky way we came to refer to it as mm-hmm. Roundup Ready corn. Yeah, you know, it is not the only product of genetic engineering. And we delve into the science uh, in the film with respect to that a little bit. But really, we wanted to show people that it is a technology, and therefore, it's it's as good as it's being used, right? So in the case of these bananas in Uganda, or we touched on golden rice or papayas in Hawaii, I, I came to call those humanitarian GMOs, because every box of concerns, issues that someone might have with this technology can just about be checked by by these these specific GMOs. So let's take the banana in Uganda, right? Uh, if someone's concern is that it's being developed by this big multinational corporation and they want patents, well, nope, not in, not in Uganda. That is giving it away developed. for free. Yeah, giving it away for free, being developed by public sector scientists. Uh, all right, pesticides. Got to use more pesticides, right? Nope, actually lowers it. Uh, um, zero you know, pesticides zero related pe- to G- GMOs, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you know, you start to check all these boxes, and, you know, Scott does a really interesting thing in the, the Q&As where, you know, after the uh, the poll, he's asking people, you, maybe you should, your best to, to sure, you know, sure, get sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so another, so after we, we did the before and after questions, another one that we add on to it is even when people still have their hands in the air that they are, after seeing the film, when we ask, are you still afraid of GMOs for yourself or the environment? And a few hands are, are, are still in the air, sometimes a lot more in places like Sedona. Um, and then I say, we ask, uh, and how many of you think that the farmers in Africa should have the right to choose GE to help solve their horrible situation with this banana virus? And, and 100% hands go in the air, usually, very, very close to 100%. And this is where it comes back to one of those like I said about Hawaii, uh, what are you saying? So if you're keeping your hand in the air saying you're still scared of GMOs, but you're keeping the hand in the air saying Africa has the choice to, farmers have the choice to, to use it, what are you actually saying? And it gets into some really tricky areas of are you saying it's okay to use something scary if you're in Africa? <laughs> you know, you don't want to, you, know, you <laughs> almost don't want to go there. What's interesting, Trace, is when you, when you do that wonderful description of it, the bananas and the papaya checking off all those boxes 
that's where you really start to see the fringe today is when they have all those boxes ticked and they still say, no, I don't want the farmer to use. I don't think the farm, I don't think the, the, the GMO fix, the GE fix for bananas in Africa is right. There's, they haven't told you about this other one that an agroecologist planted some seeds and it, and it worked okay. If that was working, we would move toward it and it's not working. So it really shows somebody's hands when they become that cynical that they can't say, this, this GMO I can get behind. I, I don't like Roundup and it's still too hard for me to get behind that. But if they can't get behind one that ticks all those other boxes, now you're really, somebody's really showing their hands that they are not, they are not open to making decisions that are based on good information. Yeah, absolutely. As we said from the outset, there's a certain percentage of people who are just unwilling to change their minds uh, on this topic, and that might be for financial or ideological reasons, and, you know, be that as it may. But again, I think for the, the middle, you know, show them the benefits. I think this entire debate would be playing out differently if the first GMO was something other than Roundup Ready or BT corn, soy, cotton, right? If that farmers understand the benefits and they have no problem with this technology, but consumers, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around why farmers need that and what the benefit is to consumers. If, if the first GMO was something closer to a golden rice or a wilt resistant banana or something to that effect, or even ones they're developing today, I mean, the orange in, in Florida uh, mosquitoes that could fight Zika. You know, if it were something where the benefit was just immediate, uh, aller- allergy-free peanuts, for example, people would be look at this technology in a whole new light. And so uh, a roundabout way, a very long way of answering your question, why <laughs> did we focus on some of those products? <laughs> no, but you're exactly right. I think that that's a huge, huge point, is that for years, folks like me earned a lot of our, our scars trying to convince the unconvincible that science was real. And you see the same thing with Michael Mann and Paul Offit and other folks in vaccines, climate, whatever. Um, Mm. You have to somehow relate to the people in the center that the values we're chasing as scientists really match theirs. And the toolbox we use to get there is really a pretty good one. And um, with with that in mind, you know, you talked to some scientists and you had uh, Allison Van Enenem, you had uh, Dennis Gonsalves, Pam Ronald, and in my mind, kind of the best people you could possibly get to do this. And in terms of voices for science, and how was it working with them? I mean, did you have to do a lot of extra work to kind of prompt them through it, or did they just kind of take the ball and run with it? Well, it's a, a couple of things. Uh, one, we've talked before that, as Trey said, that science communication is difficult, and we learned a lot about some of the cliches around science and, and, and communication. Um, some people will say that, oh, well, scientists aren't great communicators because they're, you know, God forbid you word, use the word nerd or they're, 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 they're too book smart and they're in their own heads and they don't communicate well. Didn't, I consistently don't find, that to be, don't find that to be true. The, more, the trickier one is that why do they need to communicate it if they want to let the science communicate if the, if the science already communicates it, why the hell do we need to explain it to you? That's a, that that's a problem. That's a, that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. But the good news is, is overall, and especially the people you mentioned are in the film. These people are incredibly articulate, incredibly smart, funny, you know, humble. Right? Humble is a wonderful word. Yes. That they are open to talking about lots of different things. So no, they were they they were they were fantastic. And what was your biggest surprise overall as you moved through the uh, different scenarios and personalities, um, the different places that you filmed? What really stepped out for you? 
For me, I, I think it was just. I think the bit, the most surprising thing for me was just how entrenched this debate has gotten. That those battle lines have been drawn, and you know, a lot of people just aren't going to cross them. And that, to me, is is the biggest barrier. And it's not just in the topic of GMOs. I mean, look around our country today. So that being able to take a step back from that binary one way or the other red blue right left system that that to me is is the most surprising thing and uh, the hardest thing to deal with and uh, i am most fascinated with the science of science communication and cognitive reasoning and and how we get people and ourselves you know it's not like we're immune to it either you know everybody it's easy to point out the confirmation bias in others it's really hard to point it out in yourself so, you know, just learning those tools, that critical thinking, you know, Tamar Haspel is another great writer who's taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's got a, a thing that she says in one of her speeches that go find the smartest person you can find on the other side of the issue from you and talk to them, yes. learn from them. And, and that, I think, is just true across the board, whether you're talking about GMOs, climate change, vaccines, politics, whatever in a slightly different direction in terms of what surprised me. And we, you know, we don't want to make this an us or them choose one side of the conversation. Uh, uh, we don't want to promote people's taking one side, one side on this, but to the extent that some in the organic and natural foods industry sold fear was a huge surprise for me. And that's not to discount organic farming. That's not to discount agroecology. That's not, to, not to discount any of that. We're talking about marketing. Right, so the I I did not realize the extent that that, that those industries used fear around GMOs and and other things to sell their products, and that cynicism really 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 surprised me, and and it's convinced so many people to go a certain way that we we'd really be honored if we can reset that. Yeah, that, that's an important point, and for me, it really is is heartbreaking because there's so many good organic farmers who do a great job because that's how they choose for their production system. They want to do more with less or re- maybe reach a specific uh, market that wants that. And it does such a disservice for there to be created this um, uh, kind of, for the organic industry to lose its credibility because of vocal people who are speaking from an anti-scientific side. And when it really is a very complicated science. And that, that's my two cents. Um, how did you get Neil deGrasse Tyson to do this? That was a great addition to the documentary. Trace made a phone call. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I wish I could say there was some genius to it uh, that you know Scott and I came up with. Beyond that, you know, we had seen a, a clip that had gone viral on YouTube and, and knew that you know as a scientist he he understood it, and so yeah, we put in a phone call and uh, shared the the film as as it were in that state with him. And he he chose to do it, and and I uh, I'll tell a quick anecdote here. On our first Skype with him, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned you know oh you know Neil Mr. DeGrasse Tyson, uh, when we found out that you know you were passionate uh, about GMOs, we were we were very excited and honored. And he quickly cut me off and said, "I am not passionate about anything. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a scientist. I am informed." And I go, "Yes, sir. <laughs> okay." So one of the aspects of your film is that it does try to not not do this equal time thing but it does give good attention to the folks who are opposed to the technology like a jeffrey smith zen honeycutt um 
you know, they participated and they really, you know, the story wasn't massaged. They put it out there as they put it out there. And uh, have you heard anything from any of them regarding the movies or the film since it's been uh, seen by some people? Uh, they don't, don't seem to be so happy with it so far. <laughs> uh, Zen, Zen and uh, Food Babe have both uh, attempted to ask to not be in the film, which they, we have their release, so um, that's that's not going to happen. Um, Charles Benbrook, I don't think, has seen the film uh, yet, but uh, um, it, he's probably the one that surprised me the most in terms of to the, the extent of his... My God, it's almost like talking out of both sides of his mouth where he tries to be really scientifically valid. And even his paper on glyphosate, you could say, in some ways was scientifically valid. It's just the way that he presented it was pounds up. You know, right. just be, on, on the first page of it, it says pounds of glyphosate up. And, and that made it all scary. But two pages later, he said, but even though pounds up, it doesn't mean toxicity is up in, in different words. But everybody takes the first page and he doesn't stop them from taking that. So it was really surprising to see how – and he goes to throw people like Jeffrey Smith under the bus in our film when he – I know he's worked with Jeffrey Smith in, in the past. So he's he's really – I think he's trying to reset himself, but it's tricky. It's it's really tricky. And he might uh, – to say who frustrates me the most is a, is a difficult thing to say in, the, in this film. But the fact that he has at times been given scientific validity makes it different for him because people look to him as like, oh, no, he's a – He's a scientist. He's really bringing sciences. He's really more of a science science interpreter. He's like reading other people's studies and then and then commenting mm-hmm. on them. But he's had a great deal of influence and and um, sadly, I don't I don't think he's 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 used. Sadly, I think he has not done good science, and the data supports that that statement. I'm not saying that based on emotion. I'm saying that based on the data, he has not done good science, and he's. He's promised results, which is a terrible, terrible thing to do. Yeah, and that, that's been yeah. kind of the same thing I've experienced with him, too, because I've had wonderful interactions with him personally on many levels. And I've asked him, you know, do you need a ride to the conference? You know, that kind of thing. And always had a good relationship, um, at least collegial. But I've always been critical of, you know, when he says on a YouTube video that, uh, genetic engineering, and this is way back, maybe five, ten years now. Oh, it causes mm. allergies, ADHD, arthritis, you know, stuff that's not true then and has wow. shown to not be true now. And then, you know, the papers are always kind of massaged in that, you know, you like, oh, we don't have the data, so we'll estimate it. Or the idea that saying that there's been this 390% increase in herbicide use. But you know what? It, since 1996, there's been a 3,000% increase in cell phone cases, a 3,000% <laughs> increase in flat screen TVs. It's yeah. because the technology didn't exist in 1996 for the herbicide to be used other than in your lawn and on municipal use but anyway i'll go and that's well, this is your interview yeah, not me. <laughs> this benefits it's an important it's important it's exactly the conversation is like well you know the, the the poison is in the portion or who who are we going to get who are we going to be able to trust in terms of assessing risks and benefits and he is doing the exact opposite of, of, of having somebody that i can trust he's increasing the 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 idea of risk when it isn't there and d- diminishing the benefits and that's as a father I can't I just can't stand that and I, I actually yelled at him on on camera I was like Chuck so what are you telling me which should I be afraid of for my for our children and our he has grandchildren I think now for 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 our, our for our our families 
Should I be worried about the the limited amount of trace amounts of glyphosate in their diet, or if they eat too much sugar? And he goes, oh, sugar, absolutely. It's like, well, you're not saying that, right? You're not saying that at all. You're saying the exact opposite of that. Yeah, Kevin, I wanted to add in just one bit uh, to your initial question about, you know, what has the response been from some of the people in the food movement? And I would say it's been a really tricky thing for us um, over the course of making the film, just as the farming production system is a continuum, uh, so too is the food movement. And, you know, you've got players in it who are, shall we say, less nuanced than others. And uh, because the GMO topic is so complicated, as Allison calls it, it's whack-a-mole. There are so many issues. It was hard to fit every issue that is brought up uh, under the GMO banner into this film. We felt the most important um, issues to deal with and and boxes to check off were, were safety and sustainability. And so with that, you know, the film went to those who are the loudest out there, who are the most influential, trying to convince people that the technology itself is somehow inherently unsafe. And I've met a lot of people who may not love GMOs, but they'll admit that that's that's the fringe, right? Like, let's get the debate just past the safety argument so that it can begin to be more constructive. And one of the criticisms we've been getting at a few places is, you know, well, why haven't we, why didn't we hear more from people like Michael Pollan or Marion Nessel? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. And the, my answer to that is their concerns with GMO are not unique to GMO. They're, they really have questions about how we farm and how we produce food in general. You could take GMO out of the equation and we would still be having the same debate. And sadly, that was just too much, too much information to fit in one movie. So if we make a sequel, we can include them and make it about that. But by and large, you know, we wanted to just show the science behind this technology and then also expose those who are selling it the hardest as cancer, as fear, as something like that. The conversation was out of balance. The conversation was out of balance is that the people were more scared than they needed to be. Some people were more scared than they needed to be, and we have to reset it. So if somebody wants to come back and try and point out the imperfections in our, our film, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good, as Voltaire would say. And it's like, just, just are you only trying to point out that we made an imperfect film so that you can discount the whole film because it doesn't go with your worldview? That's what we most often see. Mm-hmm. And again, from, fr- from Fringe. So we want to distinguish between fringe and people that are trying to have a nuanced conversation if you want to find fault in the movie that's talking about the, uh, we could have included that or let's talk more about this that's great let's talk about that that's an ongoing conversation and we hope the film is a conversation starter if you're saying horrible things like you pointed out that ben brooks said before that just are not true to scare people or you're saying no, no gmo technology should ever be used that's the that's the fringe and that's where we really want to draw the line and, and divide the conversation no, very good. I, I I agree 100%. And with the idea that you had to scale back and really pick and choose what you were going to talk about, what was your favorite part that was left on the cutting room floor? <laughs> yeah, a few. Uh, and some may be made available uh, on, on the web. So go to yes. our website, quick plug, foodevolutionmovie.com. 
Uh, one that I was particularly fond of um, were two farmers that we met in South Africa. One uh, grew genetically modified corn. The other is a very well-known agroecologist. And so on the surface, these two guys, you know, should be rivals. And we interviewed them separately, but then brought them together for a lunch um, at the um, uh, genetically modified farmer's farm. And, you know, they felt each other out a little bit. They weren't sure at the beginning. There was some nice, good-natured ribbing. But I tell you, after about a, a half an hour... They saw the benefits in each other's system, and it, and it wasn't mutually exclusive. It was mutually compatible. You know, the GMO farmer saw organic principles he could incorporate, and even the organic farmer was pretty amazed by the GM seeds. And then just to watch these two guys, like, win the game, right? They figured out the debate in about an hour. Like, if we could just learn from them, then this yeah. whole thing could be solved and we could move forward. Right. Humility, a beautiful thing to see to play out there that yeah, the mutual respect and uh, and humility was fantastic. Yeah, well, that one's going to be on our website very soon. That's great, because that, that and a couple other things you mentioned earlier, that whole idea of, you know, uh, of confirmation bias. If we can get away from that and walk into a situation and say, I could be wrong, you know, let's work it out. And I, I love that you're going to frame it that way. Uh, what about the, um, you mentioned before, the sequel, right? There's so many cool <laughs> stories like the BT Brinjal over in Bangladesh and other interesting stories. Is there a potential for something like Food Evolution 2, uh, Return of the BT Brinjal? <laughs> <laughs> Not currently, but we're available. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's there's a ton of fascinating stories. I mean, you're, you're sticking with still just sto- continuing stories with, with GE and GMO. There's other amazing stories out there dealing with confirmation bias if it was going to be in you know anti-vaxxers or or, or climate you know climate denial and, and on and on like that so um uh consider c- considering those but not not sure we're going to go right at another gmo story next well the- yeah yeah uh, I, just, I would just add that uh no pun intended i do think there's a hunger for this type of <laughs> content that we're we're seeing it from all sorts of groups and, and audiences that you know, maybe it's a sign of the times and, and our, our current uh, uh, governments, but just people want science. People want real information. And um, I think that's that's inspiring. That that gives me a little bit of hope. Well, with that in mind, I really do think your documentary comes at the perfect time. Um, I really do think this is a punctuation mark going forward and really a way that will elevate the discussion because this is the first time that art is fighting back. This is the first time that we as scientists have something that we can point to and we can say this has scientific credibility and passes scientific muster and represents the real opinion. And, you know, do you do you kind of feel that, you know, with the science march and all the other things happening? How do you feel about your work and the timing of this? And was that on purpose? (laughs) No, we definitely can't say it was on purpose. Um, But the serendipity of it is is feeling is feeling really strong. I mean, Trace and I used to use the term early in the in the film, you know, that we're living in an age of distrust. Now it feels like we're almost living in an age of, of, of chaos. It's gotten even even and even crazier out there. Um, and uh, so it does feel very very it does feel very very timely. So we're excited to see. So so fingers crossed. It's very kind of you to, to say that about the film, but uh, we we will see. 
Well, it releases on, uh, in, in at least theatrical releases, June 23rd, 2017, which is going to be the weekend after the podcast is first released. But what are the plans for wider release and maybe streaming availability for those who are rural audiences who love the topic but maybe can't access a major market? Absolutely, yeah. You can go on our website, foodevolutionmovie.com, to see where it's going to be playing theatrically, hopefully in a city near, near you. We're looking at somewhere between 25 and 50 markets. Uh, if it's not, you can request the film. There's a button on there, and uh, our team will be in touch, whether it's a small group, large group, somewhere in between. Uh, you can you can host a screening, and then beyond that, we will be available on um, digital platforms starting in the early fall. We uh, are negotiating a deal currently, so stay tuned for updates. So as we've had news that your movie was coming out, there's been a lot of allegations bouncing around social media that this was just a big ag-funded film with a big agrochemical message to sell more agrochemicals. Uh, just for the record... Was this sponsored by Monsanto and the agrochemical industry? No. Big no. Not, not a single dollar. All. Yeah, not a single dollar came from them. And uh, no, we, had, oh, we also had complete creative control. You know, complete creative control and final cut. So it's this, the, the good news for me, Kevin, in terms of this whack-a-mole of like people trying to take a, uh, take a crap on on GMOs for for so many years. So the whack-a-mole has gotten smaller, right? You pointed out those uh, crazy things that Ben Brooks said many years ago. The whack-a-mole for me, and tell me if you guys think it's different, has come down to now GMOs equal glyphosate or GMOs equal a perceived conflict of interest. And I say perceived conflict of interest. And actually, Chuck Benbrook defends us on this because he gets always told that he has a conflict of interest. It's like, well, then any science that's funded is a conflict of interest. And we can go on and on with that. Conflict of interest can be just a huge rabbit hole. It's like the New York Times. I can't read the New York Times because it has advertising. It's like when do, when do we stop with, with conflict of interest and say, it, it, go to the data. And that's what right. we're asking people to do. Right. Get past your perceived idea of the conflict of interest and talk to us about the data in the film. Uh, I, I would a echo that 100% and say, you know, what is the substance of the argument, no matter which side it's coming from, right? If we're going to have a debate about this and have an open mind, then you got to hear it out as opposed to just playing the lazy shill card and accusing people of having ties that may or may not be there. It just it shuts down the, the discussion and, and that's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah, that That's, kills me because one of my favorite podcasts is the Science Versus one. And mm, she'll say all right. the time, you know, we did one on sweeteners. But, well, this data says this, but it was paid for by the sugar industry. So I don't know how much we could take it. And I say, but wait a minute. I've, I've trained for 30 years to be able to understand statistics and experimental design and interpretation. I don't need right. someone to tell me, ignore it. Um, I'll decide whether I should ignore it based upon the quality of the data and the experimental design. You know, that's that's what we do. And but that's, hey, right. that's a discussion for another day. Where can we yeah. find <laughs> where yeah, can we find is. out more about uh, about the film? And uh, where are you on social media to give us updates? Sure. Ab absolutely. Uh, FoodEvolutionMovie.com is our website. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Food Evo, slightly shorter Food Evo movie. All right. So Trace Sheehan and Scott Hamilton Kennedy. Thank you so much and best wishes for you guys. You have made something. Oh, geez. It, 
it's so good. I mean, you can tell I'm like emotionally stirred by this. This is what we as scientists needed was something that we could hold up and say, watch this and get back to me if you have questions. And uh, I really appreciate what you've done. And thank you so much for a beautiful piece of work. Thank you so much, Kevin. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And so there you have it, uh, an interview with Allison Van Eenenem and then the uh, director and producer, Scott Hamilton Kennedy and Trey Sheehan of Food Evolution. Now, I know what a lot of you are saying, that this is under a limited release, and it's hard to say if organizations like Netflix or others will even pick it up. All those are in the works, as I understand. That's stuff that we can't control. But what can you control? And this is where you come in. As we lead up to the time that this movie is released, and even after it's released, tweet about or share in social media the places where it's being shown near you. Look at the website, foodevolution.com or foodevolutionmovie.com. I don't even know what's at foodevolution.com. foodevolutionmovie.com. And go to where it's being screened and share that with people you know. Share that with people in those markets. Now, if you're in the majority of markets that would find this most compelling, which is mostly the agricultural space in this country, take the time to organize a screening near you. And it's very easy to do. If you go onto the website and do arrange a screening, push that button, you fill out a simple form and they come up with a way to give you a site license. And I'm not familiar with the costs. I don't know how this works. But the bottom line is, is that it is possible. So you and your university, your church group, your local schools, uh, Boy Scouts, I don't care, I don't know. But the idea is that if we're going to expose people to positive media, this is in our hands. The folks who make Food Inc., Cowspiracy, GMOOMG, these are the folks that are connected, and, and as much as people like to ridicule genetic engineering for being the science of uh, big corporations, the folks who control the flow of media, they're really uh, swinging from a different side of the plate. So what we need to do as folks in science and agriculture is to get these ideas into public fora all over the country, and the way to do that is through these screening opportunities. Of course, you know, social media to amplify the message. So I'll stop there today. I thank the guests and thank you for listening. Once again, you know, keep thinking about agriculture and the technology we can use to help others. Watch Food Evolution. See if you don't get misty when, well, I'm not going to do the spoiler alert. All right, spoiler alert. Science always wins. Thank you very much for listening. This is Kevin Fulta, and we'll talk to you next week on the Talking Biotech Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. 
revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.